Today we launched this series, and if you've been with us, you know that I've been out of the pulpit for several weeks, and I'm so grateful for Lane Luttrell to fill in. But I wanted to have the time to do this series justice, and really do a deep dive on what God has for us, and I'm excited about where he will take us. And so I'm going to start off with a story about a simpleton that was a young man that was trying to find work, and he wasn't terribly bright, but he got a job cutting firewood. And the foreman of this particular job gave him his chainsaw and gave him the, the amount of cords of wood he had to cut per day, and he went out there and he worked as hard as he could and came up with half the amount that he needed. And so the next day, he's the kind of industrious man that was going to double down. So he doubled down, got up there two hours earlier, worked two hours later, and came up with only three quarters of what the quota was. And so the third day, he got up there even earlier and repeated the process again and did not quite reach the goal yet and went into the foreman and said, I don't know what's going on. The foreman says, I don't know, let me take a look. And he takes the chainsaw and he rips the cord and roars to life with a big noise. And the boy goes, What's that sound? <laughs> and the point of the story is that oftentimes we have things with us that we don't fully understand, right? That we don't have the, understand the value of, and especially when it comes to gifts. Have you ever gotten a gift that you didn't know what to do with? The giver of the gift was real excited to give you the gift, but when you got the gift, you weren't quite sure. This is what I remember as a kid growing up. At some point, I figured out that cash was a good gift to get. And I know we don't use cash much anymore, but I used cash. And then, then at some point where I thought, okay, if I got an envelope from grandmother at first, I thought, this is going to be awesome. And then I opened it up, and it was a U.S. savings bond. All that I understood was that's cash you can't use. I didn't know what to do with it. I didn't understand the value of it. I didn't understand the meaning of it. And what I'm suggesting through this series is that we've got a gift, the best gift ever, and I'm going to ask you to give me some time to make my case for that. The best gift ever that we don't fully understand. And I, what I hope to do is that we will begin to unpack what God has for us in this incredible gift that He's given us, and then over these next several weeks, we would dive into Scripture and see what God has in this gift so that we could have a better understanding of the gift that we've received for all those that are followers of Jesus. Now, if you're not yet a follower of Jesus, I want you to stay with us for a very specific reason is because you may be looking at the Christian faith or trying to decide if Jesus is worth following, but one of your struggles or one of your hang-ups is that you look at Christians and you wonder, how in the world do they even begin to live that kind of life? Well, we're going to come up with some of the answer to that very question throughout this series. And so, I want to begin with a, a disclaimer. Over these last several months and weeks, I have been into a deep study, and I'm just going to tell you up front, I've been greatly impacted and blessed by lots of material that's not mine. I have been listening to sermons and reading books and commentaries and podcast and doing a deep dive in all of this. So I'm just going to do some thank yous up front to guys like Rick Atchley and Jordan Hubbard, two preaching buddies of mine that I know. Their material has greatly impacted me. Books by Scott McKnight. 
and even some conversations with you and guys like um, Elwood Smith that sent me resources to, to re be reviewing, uh, you've all played a part into this series. In fact, if there's anything that you like about this series, you need to know that preaching is not a one-man uh, effort. Uh, the, the team has been at work, all these graphics and that bumper you see, I'm just so uh, appreciative of that. But the second disclaimer that I have is that as I got into this, I realized that this topic just got bigger and bigger and bigger. <laughs> it just kept growing on us. And so I'm not going to be able to cover everything that Scripture says about the Holy Spirit. And I don't want to disappoint you, but I had to find a place to dive into this, to begin to go on this journey. And so I decided that we're going to start with what Jesus had to say about the Holy Spirit. We're going to start with His words about the Holy Spirit. And so, in a little bit, we'll be in John 14, 15, and 16 for this series. But we'll get to that in just a second. But if you want to be reading those three chapters over the course of this series, repetitively, just put them as part of your, your daily quiet time, your morning or your evening ritual, whatever, and just be absorbing those chapters, because we're going to start with what Jesus said about the Holy Spirit, because I'm going to make a case that Jesus lived the most Spirit-filled life that could be lived. In fact, I want to reclaim a word. I'm going to reclaim the word spiritual, because spiritual, a lot of abuse has been done to that word, and it's been watered down so many ways. I, I think of Oprah, and Oprah had this whole be true to your spirit, and so there's this movement or this idea that spiritual is just anything out there. But I want to make a case that Jesus lived a spirit of, by, through, and powered by the Spirit-filled life. He was a spiritual person. And I want to show you how this runs all the way through his life. Jesus' spiritual life began even at his conception. So if you, if you want to walk, I'm going to go through some verses very quickly here. But from his conception, in Matthew we have this verse... This is how the birth of Jesus the Messiah came about. His mother Mary was found to be pregnant through the Holy Spirit. The entire Jesus experience begins on this world or in this world, on this planet, with the Holy Spirit bringing it to life. And you're going to see that theme go throughout this series, that the Holy Spirit brings things to life. So Jesus begins to grow up, and he grows, and he matures, and he's beginning to launch his ministry. And so he's called to baptism. And so he goes to the Jordan River, and there is this very dramatic scene that's accounted in, in the Gospels. And at this scene, the Jordan River, there's John the baptizer standing out, and he's preaching a message of repentance. And he's preaching, inviting people to come and experience baptism. And so Jesus models baptism for us in this moment. And he goes into the water and is baptized by John. And as he comes up, this very dramatic experience takes place. And I'm going to show you Mark chapter 1. Just as Jesus was coming up out of the water, he saw heaven being torn open. And the Spirit, here he is again, present this moment, descending on him like a dove. And a voice came from heaven. You are my son whom I love. With you I am well pleased. So in that moment, you have Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit all represented. And you have God's proclamation that he 
is in touch with the Spirit. Jesus is in the sweet spot of his Father's affection at this moment. And you hear the proclamation, with whom I am well pleased. This is my son. What you need to know is, is this is a turning point in Jewish thought. Because at this point, what Jesus is going to go do and teach after this is he's going to teach this radical concept that when you look up to God, when you communicate with God, you can call him Father. You can call him Abba, which means Daddy in Hebrew. You can reach to him, and there suddenly there's this intimacy that comes between the Father and the Son, the Father and us, in a way that people had not experienced before or conceived of God in that light before. And Jesus, in the moment of being consumed with the Spirit and filled with the Spirit, begins and initiates this ministry. And right after that, if you keep reading those stories, it goes from that to his temptation. And all the scriptures say, and all the, and all the, the gospels say, he was led by the Spirit into the wilderness. And so now the Spirit begins to guide him in all the steps. And then his ministry is consumed with the Spirit. There's a well-known story where Jesus goes into the synagogue one day, and he's going to be a part of the service. And he asked to read the scroll, and it's one of those, hey, the homeboy's back, he's here, he's with us, let's have him read, we all remember who he is. And he asked for a Bible, it was a scroll at that moment. And he unrolls it to a very particular passage, and he begins to read in what we would call an Old Testament passage. And when he reads this Old Testament passage, this is the one that he chose out of Isaiah. But this account comes from Luke. The Spirit of the Lord is on me, because He has anointed me to proclaim good news to the poor. Now, this is found in Luke chapter 4, verse 18. And if you want to mark that down in your Bible, or because I want you to reference this later, because I, I want you to see what this unpacks. Luke 4, 18. Again, this is Jesus, but He's quoting, or He's reading, an Old Testament prophecy, an Old Testament scripture, and He's going to apply it to Himself. Okay, so this is bold in all kinds of ways. But watch what he does. The Spirit of the Lord is on me because he has anointed me to proclaim good news to the poor. And now, for the next verse, he's going to talk about his mission. Or he's reading the scriptures that's talking about his mission. He has sent me to proclaim freedom for the prisoners and recovery of the sight for the blind, to set the oppressed free, to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. So all of those things in Jesus' ministry that we associate with Jesus doing, proclaiming freedom, proclaiming grace, um, bringing sight to the blind, seeking the lost, he is saying, I'm going to do all of those. Why is he doing all those? Because the Spirit of the Lord is on him, and it has anointed him. Now, anointing is something that we're not as familiar with, but anointing is something that would happen for a king or a priest or somebody about to go into service of some kind, and they would be anointed, typically with a type of oil. And what he's saying is, the Spirit's being poured on me as if by like this oil that we were all familiar with, and it's giving me my marching orders. It's creating the charge which I'm going to fulfill. And then, most importantly, the resurrection of Jesus. 
Because the Spirit leads him into his ministry, and his ministry costs him everything, his mission, he's not in doubt about it, and he goes to the cross. And he goes to the cross in faith. Because what I fully believe is that Jesus could not raise himself from the dead. It's not like he went to face his death with some kind of, you know, get out of free, get out of jail free card in his back pocket. Some kind of coupon or some kind of kind of magic trick that he could pull. But he went in submission to the Father. And as he did that, the Father responded by sending the Spirit to resurrect him. Romans chapter 8, 11, another verse that I want you to know. And if the Spirit of him, if the Spirit of him, Spirit of the Father, who raised Jesus from the dead, is living in you, he who raised Christ from the dead will also give life to your mortal bodies because of His Spirit who lives in you. From His conception to His resurrection and beyond, the Spirit, the Spirit, the Spirit, Jesus lived the most spiritual life there was. So, because He's Jesus... And because he lived the most spiritual life that there was, I want us to focus this series around what did Jesus have to say about the Spirit. And let's start there. And let's let that shape and guide us so everything from here on out for the rest of the series is going to always be launched out of John 14, 15, and 16. So we're going to come to that now. And as you find that in your Bibles, if you haven't found it already, what I want you to know is that this is between the Last Supper and before he's betrayed in the garden. So the Last Supper, Jesus gathers with his disciples, the ones that are closest to him, and they share a meal together. And in John's account, he tells us that Jesus took this opportunity to wash their feet. And what Jesus is doing is he is still teaching, still instructing, still modeling what this spirit-filled, the spiritual life looks like. And so in John 14, they're on their way. They're in transition into what's known as the Garden of Gethsemane, where Jesus is going to be betrayed. And Jesus is still teaching, still talking, still instructing. And he begins to share with them some very pointed details about what's, what's going to come. And he starts speaking with what I can imagine is a, a seriousness, a heavy tone perhaps, and the disciples begin to get very worried. And he begins to talk to him very plainly. I'm about to go away. And where I'm going, you can't follow. And naturally, this grieves them. Imagine you hearing that from a loved one. From from one that you've, you've shifted all your life plans for. You've walked away from businesses and families and gone on this three-year journey with, and it hasn't been easy. And now... Just when you think it's going to culminate in something special, he's using a language that says, this is all about to get very difficult. This is all about to get very stressful for you. This is going to come with some persecution. This is going to have some cost to it. And so they begin to grieve, both for themselves and for the fact that they're going to lose this connection that they want. And so it's in that context that Jesus is going to encourage them. And he's going to tell them the truth, but he's also going to tell them an encouragement. He's going to encourage them with another truth. And so here's what he says. So in John 16, I want you to jump 
jump to the end of it. He says, rather, you are filled with grief. Okay, and that's what they're experiencing. So this is not a mild emotion. This is not a casual conversation. They are distressed. They are, their world is being turned upside down by his words. You're filled with grief because I have said these things. But very truly, I tell you, it is for, and catch the phrasing, it's for your good that I am going away. It's for your good I'm going away. Unless I go away, the Advocate, and that's a reference to the Holy Spirit, the Advocate will not come to you, but if I go, I will send him to you. Now, just, just rest with this for a moment. Because if you're wondering why we're calling this the best gift ever, this is why. Understand what Jesus is saying. And this, Jesus is talking directly to them, and he's got a relationship with them, and Jesus is right there in front of them. And so if I were them, I would not want to lose that, right? In fact, I've, I've grown up preaching the sermons and hearing the sermons where the preacher would always go, can you just imagine what it would have been like to walk alongside Jesus? Just to actually be there. And we use our imaginations and we can think that through. And yes, that would be incredible. But now Jesus says this line that turns that around. And he says, it's better for you that I'm going away. Because when I go, I'm sending you something. He says the advocate, once again, the Holy Spirit is going to come. And he begins to explain them, it's going to take up residence in you. Up to that moment, Jesus had been with them, beside them, and now he's taking up residence in them. And so here's truth number one that I want to share with you is God inside of us is better than Jesus beside us. And that's a radical thought. But that's why we can call the Holy Spirit the best gift ever because by Jesus' own definition, when I go from you, when I go from you, I'm not going to leave you and I'm not going to abandon you. I'm going to send something that's better. And the better is what we're going to find through the rest of this series. We're, we're going to discover all the ways that the Holy Spirit is at work in our lives to the ones that are open and willing to receive this gift and begin to lean into an understanding of what it is that we receive the best gift ever. Once again, God inside of us is better than Jesus beside us. And so what i like to do with our little bit remaining is talk about the Holy Spirit and just give you two more truths that go with this. So here's truth number two. The Holy Spirit is God. Okay. The Holy Spirit's not God on a diet. The Holy Spirit's not God light. The Holy Spirit's not God that we called off the bench. Um, the Holy Spirit is God. The Holy Spirit is, I love the way Rick actually said this, the Holy Spirit's the third person of the Trinity, not the third wheel of the Trinity. And in the Godhead, in the God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit, the Holy Spirit's not an it. It's not a thing. It's an identity. It's a persona. It's a person with which... We are invited into relationship with. 
It is the Spirit of God that is intimate with us. And it's also not simply a power. Now, don't misunderstand me. The power, the Holy Spirit is powerful. But we fall into a trap where we start thinking, well, what the Holy Spirit is, the Holy Spirit's a power, and therefore it's a power that we control. That is a gross misunderstanding of the Holy Spirit. It is not, the Holy Spirit is not something that we summon at our beck and call to perform tricks or make things happen that we want to see happen in the world. The Holy Spirit is a power that God is sharing with us as a person that we are in relationship with, but not in control of. Do you understand the difference? We don't get to control the Holy Spirit. In fact, as you'll see as we go through this, a spiritual life is one where we release control to the Spirit. Second truth, the Holy Spirit is good. The Holy Spirit is good. And I, and I want to show you this, and, and I, sorry, I, I did not put this in my slides, but Luke chapter 11. I just want to share this verse with you. This is the passage where Jesus begins to describe the good Father and the good gifts that the Father gives. I'd always thought it meant just like all kinds of good gifts. You know, God gives me a good job. God gives me a good family. God gives me good health. God gives me good gifts. That's, that's how I always thought. As I got back into this material and trying to study and prepare for this, I saw something in this verse I had not seen before, and it's not because I haven't read it before. It's just I'd glossed over it too quickly. Luke chapter 11, verse 13. If you then, though you are evil, know how to give good gifts, and he's putting us up against you know, how we give gifts versus how God gives gifts. If you know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will your Father in heaven give? And I think the next word should be good gifts. Will give the Holy Spirit to those who ask. The Holy Spirit is the good gift that the Father that knows how to give good gifts, gives. The Holy Spirit is the gift that God gives to us. And when he says that the Heavenly Father knows how to give gifts, he says, and he uses this great illustration because he says, if you've got children, you know, and your, your son or your daughter asks for something, you're not going to hand them a scorpion. You're not going to hand them a snake that's going to bite them. You know, and we go, no, who would do that? That's, that's crazy. He says, right. And if you, in your poor, pathetic, evil state, know how to give a good gift, imagine how good the gift is that your Heavenly Father gives. And He gives it a name, and it's a person, and it's the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit's God, and the Holy Spirit gives good, or the Holy Spirit is good, and it's the good gift that we receive. So it's the best gift ever. See where we're going with this? So I do want to address one thing. Why do we fear the Holy Spirit? Now, your upbringing may have been different than my upbringing. I, I am so grateful for my upbringing, but I'll be honest, when it comes to the area of the Holy Spirit, my understanding and my knowledge was fairly lacking in lots of ways. There are several gaps in my um, hearing messages on it, hearing uh, teaching on it. And so I want to just address some of this stuff because I know that sometimes when we talk about the Holy Spirit, the temptation is to start putting up the barriers. Because 
we're kind of afraid the Holy Spirit's going to make us weird, right? You know, and the last thing we want to be is weird. I'll be anything, just don't make me weird, okay? And so, we may have a fear of the Holy Spirit because you've had some bad teaching on it. That you've had some of that teaching that rushes to some of the extremes or that pretends to have control over the Holy Spirit. Sometimes it's even the language that's used in our Bibles. If you grew up on a, on a King James Version Bible, when you get to the, the Holy Spirit, does anybody remember the phrase Holy Spirit? It's called the Holy, Holy Ghost. It's a little strange in today's world. Casper, friendly ghost, maybe not. So there's all kinds of different imagery that we have, and so the Holy Ghost or the Holy Spirit, sometimes it just seems strange to us, and we haven't received good teaching on it, or we've received, quite frankly, bad teaching on it. Second reason that oftentimes you may be sensitive to this teaching is that, that you've had a bad experience. Because you had a bad experience somewhere, and this usually goes along the way where somebody that you know used the Holy Spirit as spiritual leverage or an elitism over you. And you encounter somebody that says, well, I'm full of the Spirit, and God told me that you need to do this. And it becomes an abuse of the Spirit. And it's used as a measure to control you. Or it becomes divisive. Because at some point, some people begin to wear the Spirit as a spiritual badge, a badge of honor. Well, I have the Spirit and you don't. You know, almost like the old pep rally cheer. We got Spirit, yes we do. We got Spirit, how about you? And you feel in this place that there's something that you don't have access to that somebody else does. And you're made to feel less than by somebody that supposedly has the Spirit. And what I want you to understand is that I'm sorry that happened to you, but please understand, anybody that is actually filled with the Spirit, that will always lead to two things, humility and unity. It will not be divisive, and it will not be a one-upmanship over it. But the third reason I think is the most critical, the third reason I think we fear the Holy Spirit is because of an apathetic discipleship. Apathetic discipleship means... I want to follow Jesus, just not that much. And as you grow in your understanding of this best gift ever that we've received, the Holy Spirit will begin to dwell and fill your life in a way, and it is not a respecter of your comfort zone. In fact, the more conviction by the Holy Spirit you receive, the more out of your comfort zone it's going to lead you. If you need proof of this, just read the book of Acts. The book of Acts is about what the Holy Spirit's doing in the lives of the first believers, and it continually pushes them out into the world, into places that are risky, dangerous, and uncomfortable. And so as you grow in the Holy Spirit, as the Holy Spirit begins to take over and you submit your life to it, it will not leave you in a place of comfort. It does not leave you on your couch, I promise. It will cause you to forgive people that you thought you could never forgive. It will cause you to love people that you're pretty sure maybe today you're never going to love. Serve people in a way that you don't think you can serve. Minister to people in a way that you think is beyond you. And yes, speak out and share your faith 
in a way that right now, you're like, oh, I hope it doesn't ask me to do that. That's the life that the Spirit calls us into. And so I'm just going to give you the warning up front that if, if a comfortable Christianity, if an apathetic discipleship is where you want to remain, the Spirit's not for you. And we'll discover that week after week as we go through this. But there is another kind of life that's opposite the apathetic discipleship life. And I've seen this life modeled in so many different ways. But the way that I've seen it modeled so recently was this past Friday, several of us got to be involved in a funeral service for Dave Boivy. And Dave Boivy was a friend of mine. And I have the utmost respect for him. And what you need to know about Dave is, if you knew him now, Dave's a gentle, kind-hearted, loving, talented Bible class teacher. But that wasn't always Dave's life. That's how I knew him. So you can imagine my shock and dismay when I learned that there was a previous life to Dave. Dave grew up in the Bay Area of California. And in the Bay Area, Dave did not grow up a believer, did not grow up you know, with a spiritual life connected to God. He grew up spiritless. And that life led to gangs and led to drugs. And he would deal in drugs and parts of the gangs that he actually committed murder. This is the life that Dave knew. And so if you look for anybody to be a candidate for the Spirit... If anybody were to be a candidate for the gospel, it wasn't Dave. Except God wasn't going to let Dave go. And so, through a work connection, a woman invites Dave to church. And Dave goes to a church across there in the Bay Area, and he begins to hear about Jesus. And God goes to work on Dave. And so Dave, he gets a hold of Dave's heart, in his life and begins to fill Dave. Dave goes off to Harding University, begins to study Bible and ministry and continue to grow. At one point, Dave went, goes on a mission trip to Russia. And this was back in a day where it's still illegal to bring Bibles into Russia. So they are literally smuggling Bibles into Russia. And when everybody else in the mission team was a little concerned, Dave's response was, well, I've smuggled drugs. This can't be that much harder. You know, God equips you in unique ways, I guess, for the ministry. Dave goes on to preach and to proclaim. And as a part of this congregation, I can tell you that every Sunday when I would get down, after service, Dave would find his way over to me and he'd say, let me tell you how much I appreciate that message today. And it wasn't just a thank you preacher. He would go into very specifics of what God was doing in his life. The man from gangs and drugs to a spirit-filled life. And what you need to know, this is the message that Dave teaches and proclaims in his life, and he's enjoying his victory in heaven right now, is that the spiritual life is a supernatural life. There's no other way you define going from gangs and violence and drugs to smuggling Bibles into Russia. You don't go from violence 
to victory like that. That's the best gift ever. Let me pray for us. Father, I'll confess a lacking knowledge of the Holy Spirit. I will confess that for most of my life, I didn't know what I had. And so I pray that as you open up your word to me and to all of us here, to all of us hearing this message, whether in this room or online, that you would begin to reveal this gift, this good gift that you've given us. And Father, if we want to put up some some barriers, that you would begin the process of removing those. And you would break through. And Father, like you broke through into Dave's life, will you break through into each of ours. And help us to experience what it means to have a spirit-filled, spiritual life. Father, Jesus made the promise that he would send his spirit. And so today, based on his testimony, based on his authority, based on his spiritual life, Father, we want to be open to receive this gift. It is in the name of Christ that we pray. Amen.